Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports Station. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. All right, we just had Bump's Power 5 vibe list ranking the top head coaches of the 2000s. And Bump, I think not only do all of these guys have something in common, but I think they can teach us all a lesson about how you build a winning team, which is there is no one way to build a winning team. Right. <laughs> Sounds like I'm reducing it to a non-lesson, but that's the most important lesson. I remember Pete Carroll used to always say this thing. Uh, it was when Sean McVay first started, it was um, some praise that he heaped on uh, Sean McVay a ton. And he said he knows who he is. And at first I thought it was just coaches speak. And it was like, oh, he knows who he is, like a weird compliment, non-compliment kind of throwaway line. Mm -hmm. But I think that was actually the highest praise that Pete Carroll as a head coach could give someone else. Because to know who you are is one of the greatest strengths you can have as a coach. As a coach, as a player, as a person, you know who you are. You know your strengths. You know your weaknesses. You know how to support yourself and others around you. And I think that is, like you said, one of the key traits of a head coach. Know who you are. Know where you need help. And, uh, and delegate the heck out of things. Delegate the heck out of things, but also figure out to whom you need to delegate those tasks or uh, who is best in what roles. Um, for instance, I mean, it could be something as simple as I am making a really tough decision to bench one player over another. Mm-hmm. Um, Andy Reid in Kansas City, they had a first-round pick. He was the last pick of the first round, but a first-round pick in Clyde edwards Lair, who was RB1 to start the season, and not only was their top back, but was also playing really well. Then he kind of fell off. He, like, wasn't reading, you know, holes right, just wasn't, wasn't being productive, was making mistakes. And Andy Reid pulled him out. Like, he was like, you're, you're off the field. We're putting someone else in. I mean, he was essentially benched. This is a first-round pick. And Andy Reid was having none of it. Instead, they end up rolling by the end of the season with Pacheco, who was, what, a sixth-rounder, seventh-rounder, something mm-hmm. like that, um, because he ended up being more productive. One thing great head coaches do is make really, really tough decisions. That's why they pay you the big bucks. And even if you don't make the decision yourself, because you're sitting around at the table, it's rare that a coach just stands up and says, all right, we're making this move here without consulting mm-hmm. the 30 people who are on their staff pretty much. But there are people that you trust, right? I look to my right, I look at my offensive coordinator. That's the first person I'm going to when it comes to personnel changes. If I'm not the coordinator myself, I'm saying, what do you think about this? Now, you got to present an argument, but it's a conversation. But at the end of the day, whether the situation works out for you or against you, it's going to be perceived that you made that decision, even if you were leaning on somebody else. But that's the role of a head coach, man. You you, you take the bullets and you send the praise out to your dudes. I also think that uh, you get a lot of cooks in the kitchen with a coaching staff, right? Because right? guys have their position coaches in their ear and everyone works under the head coach. So it's not like there's different messages floating around. But we've, we're talking now about the best head coaches and what winning teams have in common. We were just talking about Denver, where I think is an example of, uh, the worst case that could happen when you're a new head coach, was it, which is that there's a lot of voices and there's a lot of disagreement and there's a, a lot of friction on a team. And a great head coach, I think, is able to quell a lot of that. Mike mm-hmm. Tomlin was your example of like, mm-hmm. he has had a winning season no matter what. They've had good teams. They've had struggling teams. They had Big Ben at his best and they had like uh, Ben Roethlisberger, like the the corpse of Ben Roethlisberger essentially (laughs) with like no arm right like they've they've had they've they've had to win in a lot of different ways but you never really heard a lot of crazy drama you never you know what I mean like it 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 
seems like a rare feat and a hard feat to have someone who can get everyone to, at one level or another, buy into his way and his idea and his philosophy. And that's why Tom has been there 16 years, right? Same thing with Pete Carroll, been here, what, 13 years. Belichick's been over there for 100 years, it feels like. Andy Reid's doing his thing. There's so much turnover in this league when it comes to players and it comes to coaches. But you know the great ones. You know the great players. Why they get three contracts. They're there for a while. Coaches, they're there for a decade plus. Quarterbacks, they're there forever as well. So when you have something that works, you become attractive as well. That's Mm -hmm. what these coaches are. You want to go learn from Tomlin, from Reed, from Pete Carroll, right? Because they've had the success. What have you done over this past decade to allow you to have so much success? You become attractive. And because you're attractive, people get there and they automatically buy in. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna challenge the system. The system has gotten sixteen non losing seasons. The system has produced a top eight defense out of thirteen years. The system has produced one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. He's only five years in. So once you win, people buy in and they come in and they don't challenge you. Mm-hmm. I, I keep going to Nathaniel Hackett. I'm sorry, Nathaniel, but you got a job. You good. You're an offense coordinator where in New York Jets, now? Yeah. All right. But they went in and everything was challenged. From the bottom up, from the players yep. up, and when there's no there's no order, people sense that, they feel that, and then there's chaos. So that's the challenge of a new head coach is that you have to be so ingrained in your philosophy and what you believe that you become attractive and then people just fall in line. These other coaches already have that. That's why they've been able to sustain success for over a decade. Well, and there is a culture of respect in general with football, yeah. right? Like that starts from when you're little. But there is this feeling of having, like, it's like when your parent's there, I would imagine. Like, when the parent's gone, uh, like, there is this feeling of kind of like, uh, like, I don't have to follow the rules quite as strictly. Versus, like, hey, like, this this person's, you know, they're the boss. Like, Mm -hmm. what am I supposed to do? Uh, You don't have to have the best relationship with your head coach. You don't have to be friends with your head coach. But good head coaches, through being a friendly guy and a fun guy or a strict guy, are able to get people to recognize that, like, hey, this is who we are. This is the team. We're playing for, you know, one thing. Speaking of winning teams, the conversations we were having about the different types of coaching you can have has me thinking about the different types of teams you can put together. Like, I find it fascinating that, um, yeah, you have to have a lot of talent to win a Super Bowl. Like, you can't find a bad team winning a Super Bowl. You can find individual bad players. Like, we were talking about Trent Dilfer the other day, who's not a bad player, but he's not Tom Brady. He's not Patrick Mahomes, right? Um, but you've had the Ravens find one way to win in 2000. Mm-hmm. Find a different way to win in 2012. You've had Seattle find one way to win in 2013. I don't know how close they are to that way again, but maybe they went a different way. Like, I just think that we sometimes forget there are different ways you can win. The, the formula isn't, having the very, very best quarterback in an elite passing offense. The formula is knowing who you are, finding your strengths, and just getting talent, like just being a good team. Talent, 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 talent. Now, you got to know what to do with talent. Yeah. I've seen teams, I've beaten teams as a coach. Team is more talented than we are but maybe they're not coached up in an area and you can expose it. But it's all about acquiring talent and then knowing what to do with it and acquiring the right talent. I could see Pete Carroll, I can see Bill Belichick passing up on an extremely talented individual because they don't fit what they want. And I think 
the Hawks made a mistake not passing up on a talented individual. A whole bunch of red flags, but you live and you learn. I'm not going to say his name. Y'all can say it for me on the text McDowell. line. Okay, she said it. I didn't say it. She said it. <laughs> but that's a talent as well when it comes to building a team, right? You got to be able to find the guy that fits your scheme and fits the personality of your team. And, I'm man, I've been... Ever since I met Tay uh, Oscar Hernandez, I've been on it. I'm like, this is the perfect, this is the perfect fit. Yes. Like this dude makes complete sense. I don't care what he does. I want you to ball, Tay. You go do your thing. <laughs> but I'm like, he's gonna fit right in. This team needs this. It might not be Gino. It might not be Julio. Super out there and and I wouldn't say flamboyant, but very charismatic. He has his own way of being charismatic. A it's a yeah. it's a humble, confident, grown a man. He was smiling the whole time. Yeah, he was. Like, he just seemed like a good time. You couldn't quite hear it. Like yeah. he sounded more serious over the air than he did on if you were like watching the video stream. Yeah, but that's and that's what you do. Acquire the right talent with the right personality in the right scheme. That's why it's so hard. That's why it's more impressive that these guys have these decade runs. Because mm-hmm. it's hard, man. You got fifty three dudes on a roster. You got ninety something dudes in camp. And your job is to you have your fifteen, twenty who are solid, like, look, these are gonna be my guys. We gotta find more guys to replace because it's a revolving door in the NFL. That's what makes these runs so impressive as well, is that they are relevant mm-hmm. and the NFL is not for long. Dudes are in and out of this thing, different teams and constantly moving. So yeah, you gotta find the right guys for your team. Do you see that theme or good coaching reflected with the two teams that are in the Super Bowl this week? Oh weekend? yeah, yeah. Where for do you sure. see it? I see I look at the Kansas City Chiefs and they lost arguably the best receiver in the game. Mm-hmm. That pass game did not take a step back. There were no hiccups. What do you do? You get a Juju Smith-Schuster. He's supposed to be done, right? Didn't work out in Pittsburgh. As soon as Antonio Brown left, what is he going to do? He's not a number one receiver. Andy Reid says, don't trick. Come over here. You'll get 900 yards. We'll use you underneath. You get um, a Hardman. Now, Hardman's not playing in the Super Bowl this week because he's banged up. But you get a guy to stretch the field. You draft a Sky Moore. You find Isaiah Pacheco. Right. And big up to Pacheco, who took number 10 and said, look, don't worry about it. I know the other number 10 was a baller, but I'm going to take this thing. I got dressed, too. But he, you just find ways to replace guys. Why does it work? They fit their system. You over there with Philly, Sirianni, you go and get a big time receiver. Now, Sirianni didn't do it. The GM did mm-hmm. it. Good for him. Mm-hmm. You get a big time receiver uh, a couple years before you draft the Heisman Trophy winner, Devontae Smith. And then you take a chance on a second-round pick in Jalen Hurts. You transform this team. When when Carson Wentz was the head coach, or excuse me, the the quarterback for this team, it was a different-looking team. We didn't yeah. do There were no RPOs like that. They didn't run the ball like that. So you transform the team. Yeah, man, they, uh, they found ways to stay relevant. And in my four-down territory, I'm going to tell you why Philadelphia is set up for the next two or three years. What a tease. I did read an article in The Athletic where Nick Sirianni, you talked about how it was Howie Roseman's decision and move to go out and get A.J. Brown, but Nick Sirianni, a great coaching move and maybe not one every coach would make, but established apparently, this is I think from The Athletic, in a team meeting pretty early, mm-hmm. was like, hey, um, A.J. Brown is here and A.J. Brown is going to be wide receiver one. So yep. for everyone else, like we're still going to try to get you targets. We're going to try to do this. But like he settled right away before they went into camp, before they did all this stuff. Like this guy's coming in and this is the decision we've made. And he's going to get a lot of targets and he's going to get a lot of attention. And everyone else, like you still have a role, a really important role to play. But making it clear, there will be no weird kind of like, you know, fighting over targets kind nah. of thing. Like this is the guy <laughs> we traded for him to be number one. And if you're on that roster, you better know that. Ain't no, you just paid this man what twenty five million dollars a year. Yeah, you don't pay him twenty five to be number two. 
And I like that move because it helps Devontae Smith, too. Because mm-hmm. if not, he was going to be relied on to be the number one. I'm saying eventually he can be a number one. But uh, it's nice to not have that pressure to relieve some of that. And that's a bold move right there. You go and, you go and spend the money. We need a number one receiver. Man, you get A.J., AJ has transformed this offense. Yes, they're they're a run heavy offense, RPO offense, but they will take some shots. And you got two guys on the outside that can run that thing down. Let's take it to Seattle. Do you think uh now Pete Carroll was number three on your head coach's list? I know you feel the team is in good hands with Carroll. Uh I know you feel great about their recent draft class. Let's incorporate them into this conversation about knowing who you are to win. Bump, something tells me the Seahawks can win, can get to a Super Bowl sooner than we think, though it's it may not look like the last version of this team to get to a Super Bowl. And I think the most important thing they can do is recognize where they have talent. Yeah, what does Pete Carroll say? You can't be who you want to be. You have to be who you have to be. Mm-hmm. One of the cuts that we play here on 710. And that's perfect. Who they have to be at this point is a team that improves drastically on defense. Yes. A team that remains consistent on offense and leans on the development of this offensive line with a couple pieces. I think no matter what you think you you want to do with Geno, I think we can all say that they have to get drastically better on defense and they have to at least duplicate what they did on offense while while getting better. Um so I look at this the Seahawks team and it's different. It's completely different, but that's what coaches do. They find a way to evolve. That's why Andy Reid has been around so long because I mean, he's been he's always been known to have a good offense, but he moves the pieces around. I think with the Seahawks, it's just a bit different. Everyone wants to be the Legion of Boom. Mm-hmm. Like, get that out of your system. It, it's not going to happen that way. Well, and it's kind of like how you see coaches that want to be like another coach, right? Like, um, oh, God, Matt Patricia. When he went to mm-hmm. Detroit, I was not there in Detroit, but I heard from people that he was not especially well-liked. Not, maybe not like as a person. But in my opinion, I wonder if he went there and basically tried to be Bill Belichick and they were like, you haven't won like Bill. You can't walk in acting like Bill Belichick and be like uh, have this like military style coaching when you haven't won. Like it's Mm -hmm. probably not fun to be a New England Patriot, but they win all the time or certainly did for a stretch of 20 years. So people were like, I'll put up with it. I'll do whatever. You can't have that kind of program when you haven't won before. Exactly. You have to prove it. You have to earn it. You got to earn it. But that's an example of like trying to be something you're not. Maybe that really is who Matt Patricia is, but like it just didn't land in that case. But I think a lot of a lot of people in general, like we just we collect royal. We do this is try to be something we know has worked before instead of trying to be ourselves. And um, sometimes it takes a couple of times. Pete Carroll failed his first time in the NFL then went to college football, and then came back. So there's a chance for Patricia to right his wrongs. But I think because he learned under the greatest, and, and what people don't understand about Bill Belichick, man, he's been around forever. Mm-hmm. You know, he, was in, he developed his style from the many stops that, that he had. So that's the toughest part as a, a first-year head coach is who are you going to be? That's why I'm looking at D'Amico Ryans and saying, who are you going to be over there with the Texans, mm-hmm. especially in that situation that you have there? That's the beauty of coaching. you got to evolve just with the game and with the players. Coaches do, too. This hour of Bump and Stacey's brought to you by Advanced Hair Restoration. Let's get to Four Down Territory. This is Four Down Territory. Going inside the game with former Seahawks and Coug wide receiver Michael Bumpus. First down, Bump. There's no denying the Eagles are now the standard in the NFC. What about this roster? Marks, you believe uh, that they aren't going anywhere over the next, makes you believe they aren't going anywhere over the next couple years. Man, they got eight Pro Bowlers. Jalen Hurts, Miles Sanders, Hassan Riddick, Jason Kelsey, A.J. Brown, Lane Johnson, Landon Dickerson, and Darius Slay. 
Two of these guys are free agents in 2023. Center, Jason Kelsey. Hey, we got a home for you in Seattle, Jason, if, uh, if you're interested <laughs> you in making like a move. Over. And Miles Sanders, he's 22 years old. Everyone else is signed. Jalen Hurts is probably going to get an extension next year. Hassan Reddick is signed through 2025. A.J. Brown through 27. Lane Johnson, the best O-lineman in the game, through 26. Landon Dickerson, a guard, to 25. Darius Slay to 2024. You're going to extend Jalen Hurts. I, I would have, I'm assuming they're going to take care of Miles Sanders. And if they're smart, they bring back Jason Kelsey, who's going to be around $9 million a year. With those eight, that's 45% of the cap for Philadelphia. They still got room to do other things. You bring back this core, you are guaranteeing yourself relevancy for the next few years. So much talent on this team, and most of these guys are signed to come back, minus Jalen Hurts and a couple other dudes. But I think they figure this thing out, especially if they win a Super Bowl. So I look at I look at these dudes and I go, man, they got two offensive linemen. They got a guy in the secondary. They have a linebacker. They have a running back. They have a quarterback. Like almost every position is touched when it comes to the, uh, these Pro Bowl selections. That's what makes me think. We talked about yesterday. Yes, we're chasing the Niners in the division, mm-hmm. but with all these dudes coming back, Niners is just level one. Level two is the conference, yeah. and that's where the Eagles are. All right, second down. Ken Walker was ranked the number 15 running back in the NFL, according to Maurice Jones-Drew at NFL.com. Do you feel this is an accurate ranking? It's not bad. Number one, he has Christian McCaffrey. Number two, Austin Eckler. Thank you for giving him his flowers. Number three is Josh Jacobs. And we got Henry. We got Chubb. We got Barkley. Barkley probably should have been up higher, in my opinion. You got Cook. You got Jones. You got Stevenson. You got Miles Sanders. You got Etienne. You got Pollard. Kamara, Harris, and then Kenneth Walker. The only thing I would change, he's got to be in front of Najee. He's got to be in front of Kamara. Mm-hmm. And I'm just based off the numbers. Kamara didn't rush for 1,000 yards this year. He was 897, 490 receiving, though. You look at Najee Harris, 1,034, seven touchdowns, 229 on the ground. You look at my man Kenneth Walker, 1,050. He had nine rushing TDs, 165. He has the most 50-yard runs in the league this year. 50-plus, I believe he had three. When it comes to 40-plus yard runs, he's around two or three. This dude is explosive. All these other running backs, I'm with you. Pollard had a good year. I, you, you could argue getting in front of Tony Pollard. He had 1,007, but you see the effects he had with that Cowboys offense. But I'm looking at Kamara and Najee Harris. Now, overall, Kamara had a down year. Things are going on with the New Orleans mm-hmm. Saints, but eventually he's going to bounce back. I'd put him at 12 or 13. Not a bad list, but you shorted him just a bit. Do you think it's fair that sometimes Ken Walker gets knocked for having so many of those big chunk plays? Oh, yeah, for sure. They're, and we talked about him last week, or maybe it was yesterday, talking about these are things he needs to fix. Yards after contact. He's only averaging about 1.7. The top in the league is around 2.7, 2.5. Smaller dude. But I think he can fix that because he's always going east and west looking for that big run because he has three runs over 50 yards. Just some rookie stuff. He's got to figure something out, but not mad at the list. Yeah. Shorted my dude maybe two spots. Third down. Sean Payton vows to do what Russell Wilson does well. But what is that? And how do you bring out the best in Russ? Talked about it yesterday. His best year was 2020, 68% completion rate, 4,212 yards, 40 touchdowns, 384 pass attempts. That's a career high. But automatically, we're thinking, when was Russell Wilson the best? When he had a good run game, he had some play action. So I started looking at the numbers when it comes to play action. He was 12th in the NFL in play action pass, his best career when it comes to yards. He was 10th when it comes to attempts, his best year. 
This year with the Denver Broncos, he was 23rd when it comes to play action yards. He was 17th when it comes to play action attempts. All right, loosen the defense up a little bit. Run the football. Russell Wilson said it himself. Now, he's had three multiple touchdown games, and two of those he had around 23 to 25 attempts. One was around 36. Russell is at his best with a good running game. You play action, and he throws the ball 25 to 30 times. Once you start getting around 35, 40 times, there's more room for error. He starts to rush, rush things. Also, he kept his best games where he only had three to four passes over 25 yards. Russell's known for that deep ball. You're going to take your shot, but again, loosen defense up. You play action. You hit the intermediates. Then you're able to go deep. His worst games, he had like seven, eight attempts over 30, 35 yards. He can do it, but there's a way to get there. Fourth down. To open the show, we talked about ESPN Plus looking back in time and having their redraft of the 2022 class. Tariq Woolen, by the way, number three overall to Houston in that one. Um, in ESPN's version, Sauce Gardner was taken first overall. Who would you, Michael Bumpus, select first overall in a do-over of the 2022 draft? Hey, y'all about to y'all about to hate me right now. All right, just throwing it out there. Y'all about to hate me. Typically, in an NFL draft, more times than none, who is what position is the number one pick? Quarterback. Quarterback. Who's the best rookie quarterback in the NFL this Stop. year? Mr. Brock Purdy is the you best would go Brock rookie quarterback. Purdy at number one if overall. Look, if I'm looking at what he did, eight, nine games, only lost one. Number we, one. We know, we know how the NFL works. They pick quarterbacks now. I don't we think we saw Purdy in seven I games. I don't think he's number one. I don't think he's number one worthy. I'm thinking this is how the NFL does. All right. I'm, I'm imagining that he has a second half of the season like he had. Like he puts two, two of those second halves perfect together. Perfect seasons. All right. Perfect seasons. Right. Lose one or two <laughs> games. Okay. I'm looking at Purdy like Stop. he might be you the number one pick. This. He might be the number one pick. All right. And then I'm going Hutchison. And okay. then I'm going Tariq. Okay. And then I'm going Sauson and, and then Walker. So Sauce still at four. Yeah. Walker. Oh, uh, Trevon Walker. Walker. Yeah. yeah. I was like, Ken yeah. Walker. I'm saying no. There are many number one picks Brock where I'm like, that QB don't believe one. to be, not, don't, don't deserve to be number one. But I'm just saying. This is. I'm just saying. Hey, me, text me. Let me know what you think. I'm not going to be on my head right now. Absolutely insane. Um, <laughs> now, uh, to do with an NFC West player, not with the 49ers, a Rams running back, Ronnie Rivers. Maybe you haven't heard of him, but uh, you will in just a second because he won a ton of money playing um, uh, three card poker at Caesars Palace. Wait until I tell you how much more than his NFL salary he won in one night. Just spoiler alert. It is a lot more than his NFL salary. That's next. This is The Timeline with Bump and Stacy. Brought to you by 1-800-DUIOA. It is The Timeline on Bump and Stacy, reading you the top stories you're going to see on your own timeline. So look around the sports world for some of the more random stories here. And we are going to start at Caesars Palace in Vegas, where Rams running back Ronnie Rivers won $514,000 playing three card poker. You ever been at a poker table in Vegas? Nah, I'm not I'm not about that life. No. I'm not about it. Curtis, you do a lot of gambling in Vegas? Uh no. I mean, I've been to Vegas. I've walked the casino floor of a few places, but I've I've never personally sat down and Yeah. Uh, throw the bones around. See, I'm not a big gambler. I've never gambled in Vegas. Um I just it feels like throwing money away. I'm not very good at card games. <laughs> That's what this is, right? Card you need games. to go to the slot. Penny where, slots. That's what I need to you, do. Let's say, uh, just, the, I don't know. The there's a situation. Table? Yeah, there's a situation where you're like, you know. <laughs> is this rummy? 
it's 19 and you're like, all hit. right, hit. And they're hit. like, no, 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 what are you <laughs> doing? But then I actually get <laughs> yeah. like a two. I did it. They're like, oh my God, this girl's insane. Um, but if you're Ronnie Rivers, maybe you feel like doing it because you never know how much you can make. In fact, that $514,000 he made playing poker at Caesars Palace is more than 70% of his salary. So he made 70% of his NFL salary in one night. In one night. That a boy. Right? That a boy. So, I mean, you did a year of work and you technically made more money, which is cool. But you made almost that again. You basically, you almost doubled your earnings from your job in one night at Caesars Palace. This is not me encouraging people uh, to go to Caesars Palace Don't and bet it. money because uh, you're probably not going to win $514,000. But I feel, I mean, I think some people would look at him and be like, oh, he's he has a, a ton of money. Oh, who cares about this? Man, this is, his earning window is, is like so small. Tiny. It could be just one year. You never know. He may not make the team. I went to Vegas and uh, walked away plus a thousand. Thought I was rich. I got you, Vegas. Wow. Imagine walked out of there <laughs> plus five hundred k. Man, I remember when I first went to Vegas the very first time. This was like two thousand twelve or thirteen, and uh, I uh, go up to order a drink at the bar, and it was eighteen dollars. And I was like, "Beg pardon." I'm sorry. What do you? I, I didn't realize this was a thing. I'm from Seattle. This is not. This doesn't exist there. But then, um, Vegas. did you God find out you. that if you play the game? Um, no, are actually, free. no one bothered telling me that. Oh, I wow. didn't find out until I had been to Vegas like four times that you can do that. Yeah. Now I know. But how about uh, somebody in the state of Washington who has not been named yet, but presumably won the they Mega Millions win. last night, yes. or Powerball, was it? Someone in the state of Washington last night won $570 million through the lotto, and I need to find out who they are. <laughs> Pretty uh, interesting that we haven't seen Bob Stelton or Dave Wyman in the building yet today. Wyman and Bob haven't showed up yet. Mm. Mm, interesting, interesting. <laughs> Next story here in the timeline, in a sit-down interview um, with ESPN's Mike Wilbon, LeBron James voiced his displeasure with the Lakers not being able to acquire Kyrie Irving. Well, definitely disappointing. I can't sit here and say I'm not disappointed on not being able to land such a talent, but someone that I had great chemistry with and know I got great chemistry with on the floor that can help you win, um, you know, Championships in my in my mind, right. in my eyes. Um, but my focus is shifted now. Um, my focus is shifted back to where it should be, and that's this that's this club now, and what we have in the locker room. That's these a guys quick pivot, LeBron. It's a quick pivot. Quick pivot. It don't take me long. Not surprised he's disappointed. Also, not surprised that this deal didn't go through. Bump. Yeah, not surprised it didn't go through. Uh, not surprised he's disappointed. He's thinking back to the Cavalier days and the chemistry that they have. And maybe LeBron is the only per- person who could get Kyrie to buy back in to committing to the game of basketball. I just want to see what he does in Dallas now. I would have loved for him to join my Lakers, Kyrie. I've hated you just like I've hated LeBron. But sure. you put the jersey on and I got to support you. But now he's going over to Dallas and Kyrie's a ball handler. So is Luka. I want to see how that works out. But it's funny how LeBron... I calls this meeting just to let people know how disappointed he is. The fact that he said, I'm over it. It's like, no, you're not. You called this interview with Mike Wilbon yourself. This was not the Lakers who set it up. You're not over it because you're like, hey, Mike, 
Meet me at uh, Nobu right now. You're just getting got, into yeah, it. Yeah, I've got I've got some stuff I got to get off my chest. And Mike Wilbon's like, yes, LeBron, anything <laughs> you say. And so <laughs> Wilbon comes over, and clearly LeBron has some stuff he wants to get off his chest. He's not over it, or else if he was, he wouldn't have called this interview for himself. Do you think that the Lakers have pulled back power from LeBron since they had such a failure last year after reportedly trying to acquire players that he wanted there? Yeah, man, LeBron has destroyed that team. You look at the guys that they've given up to acquire Anthony Davis and all these other guys. LeBron has been the general manager of the Lakers, yes. and he has destroyed the team talent-wise. Yep. Um, but he's LeBron. You reach a point in your career that only few have reached in the NBA, and your voice is louder than others. That's what we're seeing right now. You're just not a GM, man. Nah. It's, uh, it's like the... Uh, don't put in the paper that I'm mad. You, like, yeah. <laughs> I'm not mad. Don't <laughs> put it sure in the paper. Make sure that I seemed really chill yeah, exactly. and calm about all of this. I need to offer an amendment, a correction to uh, my lotto ticket. The person who last night in Washington State won the Powerball ticket, it was not $520 million. It was $754 million. Dang. What if they're a listener? What if, they're, what if they would be willing to send us? 253 just said he won it. And don't worry, I got you, fam. Wow. That's let's link up. That, yeah, thanks two five. All I need is just give me. You know what? I'm not. I'm not. Please give me hundred k. Yeah, I'm not selfish. I'm good. Hundred k. We good. Just, just that. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that's just a simple one hundred thousand dollars. All right. Next story here. Patrick Mahomes says that he's unbothered. Speaking of unbothered, him and LeBron unbothered. Patrick unbothered by people making fun of his voice. No, people made fun of my voice for my entire life, so I've gotten used to it. It's like the the joke that keeps giving. So uh, I've I've heard it all. I've heard the Kermit the Frog. I've heard. I've heard uh, the smoking, uh, whatever, smoking cigarettes, whatever it is, but uh, it's unique. And so maybe I'll get like a, a deal from that, having that unique voice. Mm-hmm. One of the best videos, and I know this is bad radio to talk about a video. Bump and I do it as an inside joke constantly, and I need to let you know what it is. <laughs> One of the best videos online last year was there was some kind of game when Patrick Mahomes was getting fired up on the sideline, and he's yelling, I'm here. I'm here. And someone goes, oh, hey, we got a Patrick Mahomes mic'd up. And they do the voiceover. And it's, I'm here. (laughs) I'm here. And you see him getting, like, fired up and, like, screaming. But all you hear, I'm here. This is why Pat Mahomes ain't tripping. Super Bowl champ. Super Bowl MVP. Most valuable player. NFL Offensive Player of the Year. Two-time first-team All-Pro. Two-time NFL passing touchdown leader. He goes, and I got 500 mil coming my way. I ain't tripping, man. Not worried about it. I'm good to go. I'm not worried. (laughs) I got a rocket on my arm, too. Don't you trip. Just keep watching the show. Not tripping. All right. According to federal court documents, next story here, the Live Golf Tour generated zero revenue in 2022. Um, There's a lot going on with the Live Golf Tour right now. There's a lawsuit pending, an antitrust lawsuit pending between Live Golf and the PGA Tour that may have been postponed. Live Golf also announced... um, last month, late last month, uh, that it's reached a multi-year broadcast uh, and streaming agreement with the CW Network, though um, Live Golf is not going to receive rights fees from that. They're going to continue to pay for production costs uh, as it did during its inaugural season. It doesn't sound like Live is generating a ton or any profit and revenue, but they are spending a lot of money. Phil Mickelson reportedly making $200 million as part of that multi-year agreement. Well, here's the deal with business. You don't make money really until like three or four years in. So that's what they're doing. Oh, look, we're going to invest in our players 
and eventually we're going to make some money. And then who are the guys who are involved with this thing? You know what type of money? Their pockets are deep. Yeah, Bryson DeChambeau, Phil Mickelson. No, no, no. I'm talking oh. about the people who oh, own Oh, like, this, like the bit. actual like Saudi yeah. people? They ain't yeah, worried about this. Worried about they it. are good. They're good to go. They just want to... Um, to poke at the PGA. Mm-hmm. Then a few years down the line, if they make some money, they'll be all right. All right, last story here in the timeline. Curtis, something tells me you're happy about this. Good news. There will be no cryptocurrency ads in this year's Super Bowl. That's That was all the ads. Yeah. That's what they were last year. I feel so. like Super Bowl ads are typically one of four things. Um, it is going to be like beer, some kind of beer, mm-hmm. uh, like Pepsi, right? I don't know why Pepsi shells out money, but they do. Um an insurance company, and last is cars. That's sounds my. About right. that's, that, I feel like that covers almost all the bases. That sounds about right. Right. Yeah. Like you're not going to see like Macy's. <laughs> <laughs> Come on down to the Home Depot. Like you're just not going to see that during the Super Bowl. Watch the best commercial from this year's Super Bowl. <gasps> In fact, we have the Super Bowl this weekend. Anyone want to um, put a guess out as to the best Super Bowl commercial will be for what category? Dr. Pepper. I'm going to get You're specific. Just go Dr. Pepper? Dr. That's Pepper. So specific. There may not even be a Dr. Pepper commercial. They, they got it. They have the best commercials out right now. Oh, my God. You imagine Super Bowl? Well, I know what we're definitely going to see in, in the Super Bowl is the Burger King jingle. Uh, that's oh, going to be all over the place. That's probably going to be the best one. Uh, Doritos usually has a good one. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a good a one. That's bet. a really good one. Okay. Uh, so we're going to um, bring on uh, Shannon Dreyer at 1 p.m. to talk Mariners, but we're not going to wait until 1 to talk Mariners. In fact, we're going to get to it next. The Mariners found themselves in a very surprising spot on a new ranking of starting rotations. That's next. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports Station. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. All right, ESPN Plus had their way too early 2023 MLB starting rotation rankings. Now, this is obviously 1 through 30. Where would you guys guess the Mariners fall? Top 10. Top 10? Curtis. Uh, Sixth. Sixth? Who would you have ahead of them? Uh, In terms of, like, best rotations, the Mets... Probably the Astros. I think the Yankees are up there, too, especially since they added Carlos Rodon. Uh, maybe the Blue Jays. The not Dodgers. A, not a, yeah, the, the Dodgers. Dodgers. Yeah, not a ton of teams, I don't think. Okay, um, well, um, the Mariners were not in the top 10. Okay, so uh, like 11th. Uh, well, no, they're not in the top 15. Wait, so not the top half no, of the league. No, 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 no. The Mariners rank 18 in starting. Bottom half. Bottom half of the league. Um, so this is what the article says. The Mariners are underrated here, I think, as uh, the FIP challenged dossiers of uh, Marco Gonzalez and Chris Flexen don't fare well in the forecast machinery. So basically the Gonzalez and Flexen kind of take down the average. They should be better than this. But in the meantime, a big four of Castillo, Ray, Gilbert and Kirby is as exciting a rotation foundation the Mariners have had for the past decade. So they have dominance rank 13, consistency rank one. Um, but they just because they were the healthiest rotation in baseball yes. last year. But they are not high on uh, Flexen and Gonzalez. I still think even with Flexen and Gonzalez in there, 18, 18 for uh, the Mariners' rotation. It's disrespectful. Um, 
you know, I'm looking at this list. I would just like to say the Angels above the Mariners uh, yeah. because of Shohei. Well, Shohei is like worth three of our guys. Yeah, apparently. but I'm saying, do you know how bad their rotation was for the longest time? Yeah, it was horrible. It's yeah. still not amazing. No. <laughs> I don't understand. Yet Vegas has them eighth, I feel like, to win the World Series the last time I checked. What is the major component of them possibly winning the World Series? The rotation. It's the rotation. So how do you put them at 18? And then I'm just skimming through and I'm just looking at dominance and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and rank. And I'm looking at teams above them with 11 dominance, 16 rank um, consistency. It just don't make any sense to me. I don't have the time to read every profile that's on this mm-hmm. thing about each and every team. But we know that that's the strength of this team. And other articles and rankings have this rotation rank higher and have this team with a higher chance to win the World Series. So, you know, numbers, it just don't make sense to me, Stacey. They don't. don't the, number, the, the math isn't mathing for me. Now, I understand, um, you know, the projections they're using, and this is just what their models are showing, and, and that's fine. I just truly believe, like, in my gut and based on what I see, uh, I, I'm not penning the Mariners in as a World Series team. I think they could and should be a playoff team. And I think that they are a really great rotation. I think sometimes we get a little like insular here in Seattle and we think like, oh, Luis Castillo and Ray and uh, Kirby and Gilbert are so great. This is the best rotation in baseball. And the problem is that even in the playoffs, there were better rotations, which is statistically right. The Astros were maybe the best, one of the best, the Yankees, one of the best. Um, So unfortunately for you in the American League, you've got some great starting rotations. There is no way you are in the bottom half. No way. And uh, so I, I recognize, I respect your numbers, ESPN. Uh, I understand. I think it's missing context. Like, for instance, are the Mariners even rolling with both Marco and Flexen as starters? No. So why are Flexen's numbers also bringing them down? Like, I feel like it should only be one of theirs. I think also this projection expects a little bit of regression from Logan Gilbert. Um, whose numbers uh, were great in terms of traditional measures, but he did give up a lot of hard contact last year. So I think that is is being factored into here. Uh, Luis Castillo, Robbie Ray, and George Kirby all have really good projections on this list. Uh, I, I think Gilbert, though, is the kind of pitcher that is good at making adjustments. He obviously... Uh, had a tough stretch last year mm-hmm. around August, but got it figured out in September. Pitched really well in that postseason game against uh, the Astros. It was, I think, he had game two in that series, uh, and he did well that day. So I I don't expect a big regression from Logan Gilbert this season if that's also uh, something that they're taking into account here. And they think Marco Gonzalez and Chris Wexner are just going to be god-awful, which, I mean... They're not top of the rotation guys, but they are not the worst of the worst when it comes mm-hmm. to starting pitchers uh, in all of baseball. They are guys that can get you five, six innings. It, they're not going to blow you away with their velocity or anything like that, but uh, they're going to put you in a position to at least be competitive. I will tell you guys that uh, no team from the AL West made the top five, so at least there's that top five is New York Yankees, number one, the Brewers, the Mets, the Braves, and the Phillies, one through five. Very, uh... And the Astros at six. Focused on one coast there, Curtis. Oh. Very Mm. focused. Mm. 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 
Interesting. Uh, yeah, four, uh, four of those five, uh, they touch the uh, Atlantic uh, uh, Atlantic seaboard. Like something a little, speaking seaboard. of seaboard, something huh. a little fishy here. <laughs> yeah. Something a little fishy. Uh, all right. So uh, we are not done with Mariner's talk. In fact, Jeff Passan earlier this morning with Brock and Salk had some interesting stuff to say about the Mariner's rotation as well as Jared Kelnick. Do not go anywhere. We're going to hear from Jeff Passan. Shannon Dreyer is still coming on the show at one, by the way. So we got lots of Mariner's to get to. Still taking a look around the NFL with Melvin Gordon's very interesting and humbling path to the Super Bowl. That's coming up at 1230. Don't go anywhere.